0: Gracious God, we come to you this morning grateful that we respond to the initiative of your grace in response, a response of gratitude through song, through prayers, through even the portrait of salvation that we've seen visually portrayed through baptism. As we continue to worship you through the preaching and teaching of your word, we desire to have listening ears and a listening heart. Speak, Lord Jesus. We desire to hear from you anew and afresh this morning through your word. It's in your name we pray all of this, the saving name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you have a copy of God's word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. And to hold that place there. If you are a regular attender here at Dawson. One of our practices is to walk through books of the Bible, sections of Scripture. Today, we will do something a little exceptional in the sense that we're going to look at several different places in the New Testament as we think clearly about your public declaration of dependence, baptism. As Jack has mentioned, as Bill has mentioned, we have the great privilege of seeing 20 adults today in all of our services baptized through immersion. And so, we're thankful for the, those public declarations of dependence this morning, and we want to think carefully about why baptism matters. What is the meaning of baptism? What is the mode of baptism? Who is the model for our baptism? I'm coming on two decades of ministry to the local church, and what a great privilege that I have to serve as a minister of the gospel in a local church context. It is a thrilling opportunity and calling upon my life. Uh, 20 years has given me not infinite amounts of understanding of the questions that people ask, but it's given me some regularity of the types of questions that continue to come up. And oftentimes there's questions about baptism that oftentimes people ask me about as a a pastor. They ask, "Tell tell me about the meaning of baptism Does it matter the mode of baptism? Does it it matter how much water is in the baptistry? How much water goes over me? Why do you as Baptists think it matters so much? There's a lot of questions that come up in regard to baptism. There's sometimes some confusion about what baptism means. People are, are confused at times thinking that maybe there's something in the water that actually imparts grace to a person, and a person becomes a believer through baptism. So I enjoy having conversations about one's public declaration of dependence, which is believer's baptism. At the age of 19, I was a youth minister. I had children, students in the youth ministry that were older than me, which is always a little ironic, I guess. And I remember the first baptism that I did as a, as a minister. Johnny was his name. I can't remember a lot of the people that I baptized by name, but I remember Johnny. Johnny was a senior football player, played offensive line, and I remember getting all the preparation, talking to my father-in-law, who for 40 years has been a pastor, and just talking to him, what do I say? Where do I stand? How do I do this? Our baptistry was really close to the choir, just as it would be here if, if the choir was, was sitting where the, the bells are, and as I was putting Johnny under the water... Johnny wailed, on me. his arms went out like this and he got real nervous and he splashed everybody and, and I had to go really, really far under and I would say that my leg came out from under me so I slipped. Now, I don't remember saying this but Danielle tells me that as I was going down and Johnny was going down, I cried out, I've got you Johnny. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember saying that. But I assure you that we counted two baptisms for that morning. <laughs> the youth minister and Johnny were both baptized in that morning. It was, it was the first time I realized that wearing waiters in a baptistry does not prevent you from getting drenched in the baptistry. So I, I was calling out to Johnny, hold on, I've got you, Johnny. But there's something about The symbol of baptism is something about me taking this 17 year old strapping offensive lineman who has put his faith in Christ Jesus and, and leaning him back under that water and pulling him up because it is a symbol of what Christ had done in Johnny's heart. He was saved not by that water, but by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he was publicly declaring that to the church and to his family, there was something about that that mattered. Your baptism matters. My baptism matters. What is the meaning? Who is our model? And what is the biblical mode of baptism? Matthew chapter 3 talks about the model of baptism. It is Jesus in his baptism that becomes the model of our baptism. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am very well pleased. Jesus is the model of our baptism. He models the importance of baptism. Here's the incarnate Son of God being baptized by John the Baptist. It is not surprising that Matthew's Gospel Talks about the, the the inner hesitation that John the Baptist has. He understands who this person is, and this is why Jesus is he is the model of our baptism. There is uh, a similarity and dissimilarity between Jesus's baptism and your baptism. Matthew chapter three verse fifteen reads that Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Did you see that? That he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Your baptism is not a baptism that fulfills all righteousness. You need to understand that. That Jesus' baptism as the triune incarnate Son of God, there's a distinctive there that is different than your baptism and mine. He is coming to, to say, I desire, Father, to be obedient to your plan, your plan for my life that I will live a perfect life to fulfill the law's requirement. I will teach, I will heal, I will proclaim miracles. But ultimately, I am coming here to die a sacrificial death. Because why? We are unrighteous. So he lives a perfectly righteous life. He dies an a unrighteous death on this cruel course Roman cross. So why? So when you put your faith in him, you can too live eternally with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So his baptism is saying, I desire to follow your plan, Father, for my life. This is what we discover with the Father saying, this is my Son. I'm well pleased with him. The audible voice of the Father is a signifier... that that Jesus, his son, is fulfilling his plan. The Holy Spirit is descending upon him like a dove. Here's one of these unique moments of salvation history where Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they come into our earthly existence and you have the Trinity and all of its diversity right there before you in his baptism being unified in that moment. Now, that's what is dissimilar None of you are baptized as the eternal Son of God. But what was similar about Jesus is that his baptism was symbolic and his baptism was a step of obedience. Your baptism is symbolic and your baptism is a step of obedience. Jesus' baptism is foreshadowing as he goes under the water and as he's raised by John the Baptist, so he will go under the water of death to be raised to walk not only in his resurrection, but in his ascension at the right-hand throne of the Father through God the Father's saving work upon his life. When you're baptized, you are representing something symbolically. You are being pointed through your baptism to his death, burial, and resurrection. You're pointing to the water symbolizing the blood of Christ that washes over your sins and the power of the gospel to save you from the grave. To save you from sin. So Jesus' baptism, it was symbolic. Yours is too. Jesus' baptism is a step of obedience. Your baptism is a step of obedience. What do I mean by that? Well, he's coming to fulfill all righteousness. He is saying in the symbolic act... I desire to align myself in a public way to my Father's will. Our Father's will for your life and my life is to repent, to believe, and to be baptized. And so when we go forward, when we come public with our declaration of dependence, which is baptism, we are saying, God, I desire to be obedient to your plan and your will. The model of our baptism is Jesus' baptism. But let's think, secondly, this morning about the meaning of your baptism. And there are two points that I want us to think clearly about in regard to the meaning of your baptism, the meaning of my baptism, the meaning of baptism in Scripture. And the first is is that your baptism proclaims your commitment to Christ. Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. You can turn in your copy of God's Word. You can see it on the screen, verses 3 through 4. The meaning of our baptism is that it proclaims our commitment to Christ. Paul would say, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Notice the symbolic import. This is what Paul is saying, that we're symbolically portraying to our family, to our friends, to our church family, what Christ has already done in our heart. So baptism doesn't save a person. It declares that a person is saved. The baptismal waters don't magically cleanse you from your sins. You're baptized because the blood of Jesus Christ has already saved you from your sins. I think it's important I say this to children, to teenagers, to adults. I did not, after the Texas A&M LSU game last night, come up here at midnight and pray a prayer to anoint that water that, w- that we had people baptized in today. We don't have a supplier from Israel that gets us all of the water From Israel to that That water is water that you would drink out of a faucet. That water is water that you would take a bath in or shower in. It is not the water that's magical. It is what it symbolizes. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life to save you from your sins. This is what it symbolically portrays here. And symbols matter. There is power in symbols. This December, Danielle and I will celebrate 19 years of marriage. We're coming up on two decades of marriage. That meant that when I was 19 years old, I was proposing to Danielle. That meant that we were poor and very, very, very um, green. I mean, we, we, we have grown up together. And that's one of the unique joys of getting married when you're young. You, you grow up together. and God has given us that great privilege to be able to grow up in school and ministry and in life and all of those things. So i could have when i proposed to him when we got married as a junior in college we could have said you know something we don't have the money to do this so we we do have some quarters we're going to go to a restaurant and we're going to get one of these little plastic rings out of a vending machine and we're going to give that but we didn't do that we, we saved money together got these rings together. Why? Because when, when I gave her that ring, it was a public proclamation of the commitment that I made to her. If you have children in this room who are thinking about marriage and they come to me and they say, hey, pastor, we would love for you to marry us, but you know something? We've been thinking about the ring thing, and that makes us a little bit nervous. I'm not really sure that, that we want to publicly tell people that we're committed to one another. We want to keep that private while having a commitment that we don't show to people publicly. And what would you say? Well, you know something? If you're not willing to publicize your exclusive commitment to your spouse-to-be, then maybe there's something about these marital vows that we need to talk through even more. And so it is for the person who has privately professed Christ as Savior, who says, you know something? I don't want to be baptized. We would want to say to you that you are publicly through this symbol showing people what Christ has done in your heart. There isn't a, a, a grouping in the Bible for anonymous Christians. There, there isn't a lane to travel for undercover believers of Jesus Christ. That a part of our faith is to publicly proclaim what he has inwardly done in our life. And that first step to do that is the step of baptism. So your baptism proclaims your commitment to Christ, to your family, to the world. Not only that, your baptism proclaims your membership to his church. Notice what Paul says when he's writing to the church in Corinth, his first epistle to him. He says in the 12th chapter, verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of what? One spirit. What Paul is saying here, he's saying, not only are you publicly committing to Christ through your baptism, but you're publicly committing to the body of Christ. There's one spirit that draws us to one body. And that body is a body that is expressed through unity and diversity simultaneously. There's a unity of ages in this church. There's a unity of perspectives in this church. Uh, Excuse me, there's a diversity of ages. There's diversity of expressions and backgrounds. But there's a unity in what? The one spirit. Christ Jesus who unifies us. So when we're baptized, we're baptized into a faith community. I heard the story of a teenage girl who went public with her faith and was baptized in East Malaysia. And as she comes to her baptismal services, there are people in the church that begin to notice that she came in literally with her bags packed. That the tattered luggage that she carried with her into that service Were all of her possessions. Somebody asked the pastor who did her baptismal uh, service, What's the deal with this young lady's luggage? Well, she told, as the pastor related to the people that were asking, that she went to her family and said, I have publicly given my heart to Christ and I'm going to be baptized. I would love for you to come. And in that moment, that family said, we will never have you be a part of our family if you go forward with this public declaration of baptism. So in that moment, she's disowned by family. But in that moment of baptism, she is taken in by her family of faith. I think this is important. And oftentimes we don't think about it. But this last week, You were with, many of you, with your friends and your closest family members. And it was a wonderful time, wasn't it? I know sometimes the holidays can be a painful time. And I know sometimes the holidays can be a time where you grieve the people that aren't around your table. But often, even with that grief, there is the joy. There is the joy of being able to gather together with people that you love now in that moment a 6-year-old who is your grandson, a 12-year-old who is your nephew, a 14-year-old who is your cousin could have come into Thanksgiving and said, "You know something, I've just given my heart to Jesus Christ. I've just accepted him by faith." Now, in that moment, you wouldn't, and I would I would caution you not to do this. In that moment, say, "Great, we've got all the family together." I know somebody that's got a pool Actually, there's a pool right here. Let's go out in the chilly water and let's baptize them with all of the family watching. Why would you not do that? You've got the biological family there, but what's missing? It's your church family, isn't it? There's an exaltation of the biological family, and there is, a, there is a reducing of the importance of the family of faith. Baptism is something that, that can joins you in and connects you to a local body of Christ here. That's why these 20 that were baptized today, they were baptized in our services, not anonymously, not privately. They were baptized in our services here today so that the body of Christ could see their commitment to him. Now, more than that, let's think about this. There are wonderful parachurch organizations. I love them. One of the first ways that I heard the gospel was through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. But do you know what the Fellowship of Christian Athletes did? It it met me where I was as an athlete, but it connected me ultimately to a local body of Christ. So after A ninth grade spring training football game when I gave my heart to Christ through the ministry of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, wonderful coaches that poured into me. One of the things that connected me was not FCA because you know something, even a Hall of Fame player can only play on a team for decades at the most. What lasts? Will the body of Christ last? So when an athlete or a person in their work becomes a Christian, we don't just pull out the baptismal uh, and, and baptize them on the practice field. Why? Because we want to connect them to a church. Now, if that church is connecting them and they're doing that kind of baptism, no, well, that's great. But it's so vitally important that we connect baptism to that local body of Christ. So the meaning of your baptism, the model of your baptism. And and finally, I want us to think today about the mode of our baptism. What does this mean, the mode of our baptism? One of the questions that oftentimes I get asked, and maybe a question that you've thought about, is when should a person be baptized? And I think it's important for you to see you're at Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. That means that this denomination is formed over hundreds of years around an understanding of baptism that's taught in the Bible. So, so it is important. It is important. Now we don't believe that baptism saves you, but it is important to understand that historically the reason that there are Baptist churches is looking at Scripture and saying, you know something, the win of baptism matters. So a person should be baptized after they put their faith in christ jesus and historically that was controversial when it was said actually people lost their life by being baptized as adults there was persecution so looking back upon this, I think it's important for us not to minimize. We need to be charitable and understand, you know something? There's not going to be a Baptist section in heaven. There's not going to be a Presbyterian section in heaven. There's not going to be a Methodist section in heaven. But we do, this side of heaven, need to say with charity, humility, this we believe Scripture teaches in regard to the when and the how of baptism, Is that okay for me to say that? Not, not saying that to condemn anyone here who is coming from a different faith tradition. We don't want you in this moment to feel second rate. Again, what gets us to heaven is the saving work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we're having a difference in interpretation is that first step of obedience with just baptism. So why do we have the order, believe and then be baptized? Jesus, before he ascends, he talks to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. And notice what he says in the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice that becoming a disciple precedes baptism in the order of the Great Commission. You go just a few books over to the book of Acts chapter 2. You have Peter at Pentecost saying, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter's preached this Pentecost message. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Acts chapter 2, verse 37, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So belief, repentance, faith, it precedes baptism. That's important because what do we believe Scripture teaches? That baptism is your public declaration of dependence. So if you're at an age of life where you can't understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, we would want to say understand that place your faith in him, understand what it means to repent. Now, will a six-year-old fully understand repentance? Will a six-year-old fully understand belief in Christ? Can a six-year-old be a believer? Can an eight-year-old? This is a personal question, isn't it? I'm a parent of a six-year-old. I'm a parent of a 11-year-old. I'm a parent of a 13-year-old. So as a parent, when someone comes to me and says, hey, what's what's the early age that a child can believe in Christ as their Savior? Do you know the Bible just doesn't teach us that? It just doesn't. We have all of these kinds of concepts, the age of accountability, but the Bible doesn't say, so can a six-year-old become a Christian? Well, it depends on the six-year-old, doesn't it? Even in the raising of my own children, I've understood how the Holy Spirit draws them He draws them individually. And for for some at six, they did not have a clear understanding of repentance, belief in the finished work of the gospel, and trust in Christ. There there wasn't evidence of of Christian fruit in their life. That's what's vitally important regardless of the age. A six-year-old doesn't become a 26-year-old when they place their faith in Christ. An eight-year-old doesn't get all that. There's a process of sanctification that will occur. What is so vitally important is that parents are connected to their children. And they're the primary disciples of their children. And they're praying for their salvation. They're they're looking for the fruit. They're also looking for the reasons. I, as a pastor, oftentimes have children that want to become a Christian. And to be honest, there's some other motivations when I was just started going to church, I misunderstood baptism. I thought to be baptized is what saved me. Well, guess what? People begin to teach. Well, no, 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 David, that's not it. But if I was baptized in that moment, I would have misunderstood the importance of baptism. So, so some of you in this room maybe have had misunderstandings of baptism, belief, Precedes baptism, repentance and turning to your Savior precedes the symbolism of baptism. Now we get to the how. So that's the that's the order. Baptism comes after faith in Christ. Now the order. Now this is one of these things that we start talking about baptism through immersion. And there's some of you that have been baptized in other modes. Praise God that you grew up in a tradition that loves the Lord and has a difference of interpretation here. We're in a Baptist church here, and we're not trying. I'm not trying to be in any way to diminish your faith tradition. But I do want to tell you why we believe that baptism, believers' baptism through immersion is what Scripture teaches. Real quickly, there is a symbolic reason, there's a linguistic reason, and there's a historical reason. So let's just take those one by one, linguistically. The word baptism in the New Testament is a word that is baptizo. It is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's used in the New Testament. And when it's used in the Bible, it's used in these ways, to dip, to submerge, even to drown, okay? So then we continue and think about how that word was used outside of the Bible. So that word is floating around outside of the bible and you know the way that that word was used one way was it was for ships that sunk and were at the bottom of the sea they were baptized that's not the actual way but they, they they were immersed under the water there's another way that word was used there's in 200 bc there's a greek poet who left us of all things historically that would have survived and that we have is a recipe for making pickles. And so his pickle recipe is you take a cucumber and you put it in boiling water and then you take that boiling water, uh, cucumber, and then you put it in a vinegar solution. Every time he talks about uh, the water and the solution, he uses the word baptizo. He uses the immersive word. So linguistically in the Bible, New Testament, Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Outside in, in Gre- Greco Roman days when the Greek language was being used, it was used in that way. So, linguistically, secondly, symbolically, your symbols matter, don't they? Symbols matter. So, when I baptize someone, I say, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Do you know what I'm quoting? I'm quoting Paul's words in Romans chapter 6. So, our baptismal experience should reflect the symbol that we're pointing to. What better way to be buried with Christ than to be fully immersed, going backward with the water fully engulfing you, depending solely on one to pull you up lest you fall backwards in that moment. So you are going all the way back in trust, being pulled up as a symbol of what Christ has done in your life as he's washed every part of your past Present and future sin away through the blood of Christ. And as he's raised you to walk in a new life, so it is symbolically portrayed through baptism, through immersion. Symbols matter. I mean, they matter in our culture. Just think about something so simple as why a red light is a red light. Why, Why does stop is signified by a red light or a red stop sign? Oh, you can go back. I mean, I know you, you can go back to the 19th century British railway system, and it, they used red to, to, for trains to stop. But even going deeper than that, there's something about red that connects to us danger. There's a, a referent for that. When, when you cut yourself, you bleed what? Yellow? No, red. When you come to a fire, it's not a green fire, it's a red fire. There's something about it that connects to our senses, what this is symbolizing here. So symbols matter. There's a linguistic reason, there is a symbolic reason, and finally there's just a historical reason. While we as Baptists believe that baptism, believers' baptism, through immersion matters, is we, we believe the Bible teaches it. We believe that it is a powerful symbol for what it portrays. And that historically, th- this is what the early church did. Everett Ferguson, I-, I don't know to what extent Everett Ferguson is on your radar. He is a professor at Abilene Christian University. And in 2013, he published a book with the stirring title, Baptism in the First Five Centuries of the Early Church. 985 pages. It is a magisterial work on baptism. There there is no stone that is left unturned. And in this book, Everett Ferguson says, looking at the New Testament evidence, looking at the early church evidence, looking at the archaeological evidence, looking at the literary evidence, looking at the artistic evidence, that the early church practice, not only in the New Testament, but in the early churches, was believers' baptism through immersion. Listen, I don't believe in believer's baptism through immersion because I'm a Baptist. I believe in believer's baptism through immersion because I believe the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that. The early church practiced that. And so if you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted Christ as your Savior, can I invite you to what's more important than baptism? And that is today to turn from your sins and turn to your Savior to admit that you are a sinner in need of the blood of Christ Jesus and that today would be the day that you would commit your life to him. And you know what the next step would be? It would be baptism. Maybe you're here today and you say, David, if I am honest, baptism preceded belief for me. I don't know how and why, but but it just did. I can look back upon it and see this and that, but if I'm to be honest here, I was baptized, and then later in my life, I believed in the finished work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you could say today, I'm going to heaven, and the answer is, of course you're going to heaven, because your baptism doesn't save you, but a step of obedience is that right ordering of belief followed by baptism. Today, I call you to look inside at that order. Maybe you're here, And for a variety of reasons, you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus, but you have never publicly declared that. Would today be the day that you say, you know something? I need to take that step of obedience. Today needs to be the day that I begin that process to be baptized as a believer. Baptism matters because it is your public declaration of dependence. Baptism, it does matter. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word, a word that speaks to our hearts. And I pray for each person that is here in this room, for the person that has never trusted you as Savior and Lord, that today would be a day that you draw that person to salvation. I pray for the person today that has um, had baptism, that has preceded belief. And I pray that even today that you're convicting and drawing them letting them see that in a way that they would begin that step and that journey to believer's baptism. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to look into your word and to see something as as vitally important as baptism and to help us understand what it really means in your word and in our life. I pray this all in the saving name of Christ Jesus. Amen.